0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1st John. 1st John. As we return to our series on 1st John. And we're going to look at, in a moment we're going to be reading from 1st John chapter 3, verses 13 to 24. 1st John chapter 3, verses 13 to Verse 24 at the end of the chapter. But before we read, I wonder how many of us remember our school days. I know for some of us, myself included, they're becoming more and more of a a distant memory. But when we think back to our school days, were they good memories? Or perhaps were some of them bad memories? A lot can depend, doesn't it, on the school we went to or the school we go to? Was it a loving school? And what can make the difference between a loving school and maybe a school that's not quite as loving and not quite as helpful? It's often the teachers, isn't it? The teachers often make the school what it is. Now, boys and girls who are here, I wonder if you like school. Do you like school? And I wonder if you like your teachers. I hope you do. I had a number of good teachers in primary school. I remember some really good teachers. And I also remember some teachers who were probably not so good. Um, what makes the difference? What makes the difference between those teachers You really think, they really care about me. They really want me to learn. They really want me to do well. They want me to understand this really difficult math that I find really hard and really boring. Oh, but that teacher helped me to see I can do it. And actually, math can be fun. Do you ever have that teacher? Just the light bulb goes on and you start to understand things. What's the difference between the good teachers, you could say, the loving teachers, and then maybe not so loving teachers? Their actions, isn't it? Their actions. Are your teachers kind? Did they try to help you? Imagine if a teacher came to school and they just sat down at the desk, they put their feet up on the desk, and they said, I don't want any answers today. I'm going to go for a nap. What would you think of that? I'm going to go to sleep. Don't ask me any questions about that math stuff. I'm not interested. What would you think of that? That wouldn't be very loving, would it? Do they want to help, you think? I don't think this person wants to be a teacher, you might think. I don't think this person maybe even likes students. But what if you have somebody who works very hard? And I'm sure you have a number of your, your teachers who work very hard in your school, and they're really trying to get you to understand things, and they really want to help you to understand your schoolwork. So when you go home, it's fun and not hard. You see it from their actions, don't you? They try. They care. They, want to, they, they show love, don't they, in doing that? Good teachers need to care about their students. And I had a number of teachers in school who really helped me at different times. I still remember them 20, 30 years later. It's amazing. They stand out. But what about us as Christians? What about us as Christians? Is there a way we are different from the world? Is there some way that we look and act different from the world? Yes. No, we won't be perfect, but our actions will be different. And these actions don't save us. It's the perfect work of Christ that saves us. But we will still show love if we have that love in our hearts. This morning, we're going to look at real Christian love love, real Christian love and dear friends, it is something that all Christians have, some more and some less but all Christians have it if we love Christ and if you're here this morning I want us to ask ask ourselves this question, do I love Christ and if I love Christ I'll also love his people I love to see his people and talk about God with his people. Another question to ask yourself as well, can others see have others experienced the love that you have for them? And I hope this morning this message won't just encourage us, it also challenges us to show more real Christian love in our hearts toward others. So let us hear now God's holy and his infallible word. 1 John chapter 3, we're going to read from verses 13 to 24. Let us hear God's word. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandments. Now, He who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us. And by the spirit whom he has given us, may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word. For many years, uh, I think around August time, there's a very uh, sad parade that takes place in Belfast. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called the Belfast Pride Parade. It takes place every year. And also at that time, a number of Christians, I've been blessed to be part of it, have have also shown their opposition. We've tried to do it lovingly and against the promotion of unnatural sin against God, that which is against nature. But as much as we wanted to show our opposition to what is being promoted during different things, uh, the LGBT weeks and all these kind of things... We, want to sh- we wanted to share the gospel, the gospel message, so that those people there would come to know Jesus Christ. Because we also realize we're just as much sinners as they are. Now, something you will notice at these parades is a lot of signs and a lot of slogans being thrown around. You might have heard the slogan, Love is love, or love is a human right. We'd also hear heckling at the preaching, which would be, God is love. It is clear, isn't it, that while we may have our understanding of love from the Bible, it is not often received as loving from the world. The world did not see it as loving. So what is Christian love? What is Christian love? Love, is it just simply avoiding certain scandalous sins? Is it having a clean image before the community? Or having a certain perception of clean living? Or is it perhaps tolerating various forms of sin in the land? That's actually the most popular view of Christianity today. I was like, well, you you do your thing, I'll do my thing. Many who go to church across this island, think that way? Or is love something concrete, something specific, something you can point at and say, that is loving, rather than just, say, a certain feeling or a butterflies in our stomach? Now, love is not devoid of feeling, but it is something concrete. It is something, it is someone, in fact, that follows the commandments of God, So let us ask ourselves here this morning, what is love? What is real Christian love? Is it, is it as defined by the world or defined by the scriptures? So the first point we're going to look at here this morning is real love's enemy. Real love's enemy. Now, we seem shocked as Christians when there is opposition, don't we? Sometimes we all of us at times become so shocked that there's going to be opposition to being loving. I mean, biblical definitions of loving in the scriptures. And that it is not seen as loving. It says in verse 13 here in our text, John says, don't marvel. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Do not be shocked, he's saying. Do not be in amazement that the world hates you, or if the world hates you. But it often does shock us, doesn't it? It often does. Me? Why would they hate me? What have I ever done to him, we might be thinking. Or, I just did something very nice for him. We often think this in evangelism, I'm not saying we shouldn't be nice in evangelism. I think we should be nice. We should be welcoming. We should be kind. We should be loving. We should be all the things we normally think of. But those things don't convert anyone. Do you see what I'm saying? If the world sees how nice we are, we think, and how welcoming we are, well, everybody wanted to come here, weren't they? Mm, I'm sorry, dear friends. That's not the case. I remember when I first got saved. I was saved a month. I went to church for the first time, and I think I ran home thinking my mother would embrace the gospel. She would love this, and she didn't. It shocked me to my core. It made me dig into the scriptures and wonder, "Aha! I see the problem. She doesn't know the Lord. The world doesn't welcome this message, and it doesn't see it as loving." So dear friends, while we should be welcoming, if anybody new comes in, we should be welcoming, loving, nice, all those things, that itself will not convert anyone unless they see the loveliness of Christ. That is what converts people. We must not think we're converting them to us and then maybe to the Lord afterwards. We're we're bringing them to know the Lord. The world does Hate us. And this enmity goes right back to Genesis 3.15. God placed that enmity there between two seeds. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And there's been a war that has gone right back for thousands of years. This fallen world does not view the message of love as a message of love. They see it as a message of bigotry. They see it as a message of hatred they hold the truth and unrighteousness or they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, Romans 1.18. The, the world doesn't want it. So do not marvel because this fallen world is self-righteous. It does not see its need for Christ. And they think that what they're doing is loving And because we, we come with a different message that says, no, no, you're, you're breaking God's law. We're the bad people. Still pray for them. Love them. We're called to love our enemies. But we have to realize that the only way they go from hatred of real love to love of real love is through the work of the Holy Spirit. All the programs in the world, all the, the promotion, all the, all the activity in the world will not convert a single soul unless God does a work. I'm not saying don't work. I'm not saying don't evangelize but it needs the spirit of God to work in the hearts, bringing them away from hatred. Not just the hatred of Christ, but a hatred of his people. During the Second World War, there was m- much propaganda being spread by all different sides. In, in Europe, if you were fighting for the British, you would expect people, because of what they've been taught, that the British soldiers were these horrible, evil people. Uh, do not marvel they were probably being told you during the Second War, if these German soldiers think you 're a horrible person, they hate what you stand for. They think what they 're doing is good, and if you 're standing against that, you must be an enemy. You must be evil. There is an enemy of real love. Do not just think as the world does, love is love. No, we have our definition of love from the scriptures, and they have their definition of love from the, the world, the flesh. And the devil. And it's a self-serving love. There is an enemy of real love. As we were talking about earlier, the Christian teacher in schools shows love by helping the students. And if that student loves learning, just say you've got a a brilliant uh, student and they love learning. They, they, they're they like sponges. And they're so thankful for a good teacher, aren't they? They just absolutely love it. It's the best thing ever. But it's only, that person's only going to be thankful if they love learning. If that student hates learning, the teacher can try as much as they like. But it's going to hit a brick wall. If they hate learning, they'll think that that good teacher is actually a bad teacher. Our attitude to people shows if we have real love, what's our attitude to the truth? What's our attitude to, to love in the scriptures? And, and it can tell us whether we're lost or saved. Do we love real love? If we love real love, we will be of the truth. We, we love Christ. But if we come to the truth and we're not thankful, we're resentful. Oh, no, no, no. I, I don't want what the scripture says. I want something different. Then we have to be concerned. How dare he or she, maybe a Christian, comes to you, tries to show you something from God's word. How dare they show me something from God's word? That's horrible. That's unloving. They'll think that. Perhaps there are you know, women in different denominations that might think they're called to the ministry. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 says they're not. And somebody might think that that's very unloving. Verses 14 and 15 says this in our text. We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brethren. Do you see the difference? We love those who have been changed by Christ because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Now we're to love our unsaved neighbor as well but specifically here speaking about brothers in Christ whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him and that looks back to Cain and Abel Cain and Abel Abel was godly Cain was not and because Abel's works were righteous we notice from Hebrews 11 Cain hated him He hated him. And the hatred became so much. It went to where hatred will go if you allow it. Murder. But how do we know we've passed from death unto life? How do we know we've passed from the sight of, you could say, Cain and fallen world to Abel? We love the brethren. We love God's people. We love them. We cherish them. You love your brothers in Christ. You love being around them. And they may not be your only friends in the world, but they're the closest friends you have. Or do you have a resentment for the people of God? If that is you here this morning, come to Christ who is true love. So our second point this morning, as we looked at real love's enemy, there's an enemy of love. Now it is also a real love's example. Real love's example. So we've seen an enemy. But wouldn't it be amazing to see an example? Did you ever see sometimes like, hey, you want to see, you're at work, how it's done properly. See that guy over there? Just copy everything he's doing. It's great. You can just watch him, study from him or her, and you learn. But we have... A perfect example of love toward God and toward neighbor. Who is that? Verse 16. The first half of verse 16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. Who's he? Who is this he the text speaks about? It is the Lord Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us. He's perfect in every way. He is what love looks like. If you you want to be loving, be more like Him. Perfect in example. Perfect in discipline. Perfect in love. Perfect in devotion. Perfect in every aspect before His Father. He was a man of prayer. He was a child who obeyed His parents. He was perfect in every point in life. And when he suffered under the hands of his enemies, he did it in a way that honored God. If you want to see love, real love, real Christian love, the example is Christ. And Christ, because he laid down his life for us, is there, much, is there anything more loving than giving your life for us? We still have monuments, don't we, for the men during the Second and the First World War who laid down their lives. And we're so grateful, and we should be. And we remember their their sacrifice. But dear friends, he came to take our punishment. He came to obey the law. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. He laid down his life For us, the king of glory, God, who is love itself, showed us the Christ, the the only begotten son of God, full of grace and truth, essentially came down and showed us, here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like to be loving. He gave us what was needed. What was needed? What did we need? We needed someone to suffer in our place or we would suffer for eternity. That's the only reason why in Christ we're not going to hell. Even if we sinned just once, I know our sins are much more than that, but if if we just sinned once and, and had a perfect life after that, it would still merit an eternity in hell. Why is that? Because it is against a God who is of infinite value. And you can never repay that penalty. Now, our sins are far greater than that. Go to a beach, and if you could count up all the grains of sand on that beach, and you were one after another, then you probably have a sense of how many sins we have all committed in our lives. But it's not just that we can measure our sins, all of them of infinite value against an infinitely holy God. We needed one to suffer for us. One who was of infinite value himself, so that his sacrifice would be acceptable before God. He is what it means to be loving. Christ set his love on us. We think about it. Why did Christ set his love on us? Why did God take pity on me? Why not my neighbor? Why not those people who continue on their lives that are addicted to sin and they live those? Why me? I think we've almost got a sense of realize the amazement that we're here loving the truth and to see it as a wonderful privilege that we've, we've got eyes to see because God took pity on us and it's completely undeserved. We're not any better than anybody else. Deuteronomy 7 Verses 7 to 9 says this, the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. Basically, he's saying, you're not more impressive than any other people who were upon the earth. It says this in Deuteronomy 7, for you were the least of all peoples. Verse 8, but because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations to those who love him and keep his commandments. See what he's saying here. It's nothing inside you. It's nothing internally in you that makes you more loving or lovable. Not at all. It's completely undeserved completely undeserved. Romans 9, verses 15 and 16. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, it's not of the sinner who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. If if there was ever a gospel message that that. It was just God made it possible for everyone to be saved. And God was waiting for us and our wills to move. Everyone would go to hell. But God took pity on dead sinners such as you and I. But we also have to think about this as well as we think of real Christian love. Is it easy to love our neighbor? No. It's not. They're friends. We're sinners. We're going to let each other down at times. It's not easy. But we shouldn't just see all our faults and failings. We should see and look at our brothers and sisters in Christ as the Father sees you in Christ. You see, no longer our faults and failings, washed away by the blood of Christ. We need to remind ourselves of how much God loves you and other people around us. And aspire to be more like Christ. Because if we think that way, dear friends, we are more likely, aren't we, to be gladly lay down our lives for one another and to help each other when needed. That example of Christ, he laid down his life, he died, he suffered, and he rose again. Number three now, real love's empathy. Real love's empathy. It's, we've looked at real love's enemy example. Now we're going to look at empathy. What is empathy? Empathy is the idea of entering another person's feelings, not shutting off your heart, you could say, and seeing what they're going through. Somebody suffers, you suffer with them. Um, sometimes it can be even why we, we don't like to see all the news all the time. There's only so much bad news we can, we can deal with. You suffer as they suffer. You could even think of sympathizing with someone. Well, love is not just feelings. Real love is not just feelings. It's more than that. It's action. It's real life, concrete actions lived out. Well, be more like Christ, essentially. But there are feelings. I think sometimes we can go to the opposite extreme and think it's just action. But there are feelings. And we should be moved to compassion upon others in need not shutting ourselves off from caring from others. Verse 17 says this, but whoever sees, for whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? There's almost like a question at the end, how, how is this even possible if this is true of you? The idea is here if you have you have lots of worldly goods and you've worked and it's it's a livelihood you earn for. But then it says here and sees his brother in need and there's an act of it's almost like the idea of a locking key. You're locking it away. And in the original it's not heart, it's actually um, it's kind of a kind of a paraphrase of this it's locking up the bowels, your intestines almost, literally. What does that mean? In the scriptures, that is linked with compassion. I think other translations such as the King James will have bowels of compassion. Shutting up the bowels of compassion. The inner affection. So rather than allowing yourself to feel bad for people, what is being described here, you lock it up. And you shut yourself off. You build higher walls around. So you're not affected by the sufferings of others. I think it's a common problem in our Western world. And if this is your brother and sister in Christ, John is asking, how? How does the love of God abide in him? And dear friends, I pray that this speaks of none of you. Because we need to be moved with compassion to help people, don't we? When they're in times of need. That may be when somebody's sick. That may be when somebody's short of money or whatever the case may be, but that you are willing to help because you've been moved by compassion for that other person to be more like Christ rather than closing yourself off from compassion to a person in need. Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. John is saying here, yes, we love in word and tongue, but not only word and tongue. It's not the only way. It's very easy to say what we'll do. We we, we can say things. Um, We can promise things. But indeed, in actions and in truth, it must be backed up with actions. Or it's not real Christian love. A love flowing out of the heart for those in need. And to be honest, dear friends, it's only if you're moved with compassion and a love for people that in the difficult times that you will want to help them. If you're not moved with compassion, you'll do it as it's convenient, but you'll stop as soon as it's not convenient. If you're moved with compassion for people, you'll keep doing it. Just as a way that somebody moved with compassion for their own children will keep wanting to help their own children. And what does it do if this is a reality in your life? If we, if we love in deed and in truth. Verse 19, and by this we know that we are of the truth. By this we know. By this we know. Without this, we're going to have struggles with assurance. And assurance, as we're going through this book, we'll remind ourselves is knowing that we know Christ. That we have a real saving relationship with Jesus Christ. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him or shall persuade our hearts before him. Persuading our hearts. It's like our hearts need to be persuaded. Yes, I know that I belong to God because I see this real love and compassion being demonstrated and seen. Not just in my feelings, but also in my actions. Verses 20 and 21 says this. For if our heart condemns us. This is where our conscience comes in. If our, co- if our conscience. You know if we do something bad. And it's bothering us. Oh I shouldn't have said that to that person. Oh and it's bothering you. For if our heart condemns us. God is greater than our hearts. And knows all things. And God knows more. Than any of the things that we have done. That may be bothering our conscience. The conscience if it is bothered and troubled, it will rob you of sweet assurance, dear friend. It will rob you of sweet assurance. But then in verse 21, 21 says this, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, what do we have? We have confidence before God. And so that we know that in the final day, when we breathe our last breath, we will stand in the presence of Almighty God, not because of anything we have done, but because of Christ and because of him alone. We have confidence, we have boldness, we have assurance before God so that when we reach that, when we go to that doctor's surgery and the doctor tells you, you have so long to live, you can smile back at him and you're that much closer to being with your Savior in eternity. And you'll probably think you're off your rocker acting like that. But as a Christian, we should long for eternity. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. The early Christian martyrs knew all about this because they suffered so much for the cause of Christ that they couldn't wait to go to heaven. Be free from the suffering. If this Christian love is in our hearts, may it assure and persuade you that you are of the truth. Our final point here this morning is real love's emphasis. Real love's emphasis. So we've looked at real love's enemy. Example, empathy. Finally, is emphasis. Emphasis. Now, the emphasis of love, yes, it's on Christ. Absolutely. And this point is not going to go away from that in a lot of ways. But is there another way of saying that same thing? About emphasizing on Christ in our love? Or making it more real in our experience? Verse 22, it says this. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now we're accepted in Christ because of Christ. But there's a loving relationship being described here. Do you see this loving relationship? It's a two-way relationship. Whatever we ask, we ask him, we receive it. There's a response to that loving relationship. We love him and he loves us. Now the reason we love him is because he first loved us. And when he loves his children, what kind of things do you love to give your children? Good things or bad things? Boys and girls, imagine you went to your parents and you said, I would like some grapes, please. Does your mommy or your daddy say, I don't want to give you grapes, here's a scorpion. Or here's a rock, eat that. Would they do that? Not at all. Why? Because your parents love you, don't they? They would never give you a scorpion. They would never give you a rock instead of grapes. they say, oh, wonderful, you're asking for fruit. Here's something good and tasty that will help you. It's good for you. Boys and girls, you know that your parents love to give you good things? Good things. Now, you may not think that they're good sometimes, but your parents love to give you good things. How much more does God love to give good things to his children Who ask him? For everyone who asks, this is in Luke eleven verses ten to thirteen. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him it knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg. Will he offer him a scorpion? All these things are good things. Will he, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you seek good things from God, following his will, loving his will, which is good things, he will bless you with those things. How do we know we are his children? Because, it says here, we keep his commandments. That's our emphasis. That's our focus. That's where real love looks to, keeping the commandments, because really it is loving God. It's what loving God looks like, feels like, experiences like. It's what it smells like in every aspect. It is the keeping of the commandments of God. Now, I know that we can keep it, in a very external, pharisaic way. That's not keeping the commandments. That's doing it for show. And if you do it just so men will see you, verily, you have had your reward. The commandments are primarily out of a love for God. And out of a love for God, then, then it's, it flows out to a love to neighbor. The emphasis is on the law, loving the law what is pleasing before God? Because look at what it says in verse 22. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. What else is that? But the keeping of the law of God. Now I know. That even after we're converted. And we love God in an imperfect way. We, don't, we never keep the law perfectly. There's never one second we love God as much as we ought to. Never. However at the same time. It's accepted through Christ. When we see of rewards being given to those who are saved at the end of time, it's all by grace, through Christ. We're not saved by our works, but let us, after we have been saved, strive to obey the Lord in everything. Yeah, we'll fall short. Yeah, we will not hit that bullseye when we pull back on the arrow, when we attempt to hit the bullseye. We'll always fall short. But aim... For the bullseye. aim to be like Christ and when we fall short and we all do ask him for forgiveness and the Lord is gracious and merciful to those who seek to follow him who have a love for God and a love for man that love is summarized in different ways in the Bible it's summarized in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 it's summarized the same law of love It's summarized by Jesus when he's asked this teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is commandments one to four summarized even more. Verse 38, and this is the the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second table of the law. Commandments five to honor your father and your mother, all the way down to thou shalt not covet. That's the second table. Love your neighbor as yourself is not something Jesus brought in in Matthew's gospel. It was there in Leviticus, as we read earlier. And it was there as well with Moses and the, and the tables of stone In Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy, it's the same law of love and it's summarized different ways. And for the Christian who has real love, he loves and delights in that law. Verse 24 of our text. For he who keeps his commandments abides in him or dwells in him or remains in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And the reason we love the law of God is because of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to love the law of God. You're going to find church kind of boring. You're going to find the Bible kind of boring. But when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, this book, which seems to have a seal over it, finally makes sense. And it's an incredible thing when you read it for the first time with eyes to see. I still remember it, March of 2009. This book, which didn't make any sense to me for years, finally did. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Now, we live in a fallen world, don't we? And we're talking about real Christian love. And we may say, real Christian love, Oh, well, that's, that's a rarity these days, and it is. It is, pray that God would work in our hearts. Pray that God would work in our hearts. Not just, not just that we point to our neighbors and other churches, but our own hearts. Revival would start in our own hearts, in our own churches, in our own homes. And, and may God come down here in Rathfriland, Island and it's spread out everywhere. Do not think that the Lord is restrained by saving by fewer by many. He can bring revival, if he so pleases, this very minute. This very minute. And it's all in God's hands. May God use us as instruments to glorify him. And that we would love him, but also love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen.